Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. Sitting in my office, drinking a crisp, refreshing Mexican beer. That's how I know it's summer. Mm. Um, another way we also know that it's uh, particularly the early part of summer is uh, we have now officially reached the stretch where the only televised sport is baseball. Um, that and Aaron Rodgers discussing how his calf performed in OTAs and stuff. Right? I said I said yeah. televised sport, but yes. We got the we got the Hoos in the College World Series. Oh, that's right. knocked off Duke. Excuse you're you're you are right. My fault. Professional sport. That's what I meant. What when Kenny is Powers that, pitching for this, him? This this isn't this isn't <laughs> this isn't actually helpful, especially when this when does when does it start Friday night or tonight? Friday. Okay. That would be Friday. We play Florida which Seems to like uh, to crush man. us in the postseason. So I just that, yeah. For for you listeners, that would be approximately uh, seventy two hours or so before this comes out. It might still be going on, but yeah, you know, we Flo- we provide a service. Well, they've Florida has beaten UVA in football in a big postseason game fairly recently. And then they've beaten us in basketball in a big postseason game. Not as recently. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I don't think they've ever played each other in in a postseason context in in men's college basketball. It's never happened. You can't well, prove to me been, that it happened. Comp- there's never been a competition. <laughs> there's never been a competition. That's an excellent way to put it. Show me a time. Show me a time when UVA had at least seven players available to play uh, Florida in a postseason tournament. You cannot. You cannot prove that to me. Um, but. That we are talking, well, we need this tangentially to to get into postseason basketball because the season is over. And, you know, you, you, a listener, you as someone existing in the United States, probably know that the Denver Nuggets won the game. What I think a a good or won the series, um, what has come out of it and people have been talking about a bit is the the star of the Nuggets, the best player in basketball in the world right now, Nikola Jokic. Um, he got all the questions after the game that you ask winners of things, which is, how does this make you feel? Isn't it the greatest moment in your entire life? Which, you know, I am not I am not an active journalist, but I will say that those are, um, those are kind of lame questions. But you ask them because people will commonly say, yeah, this is a great, I've been working. This is why I lifted all those weights. You know, this is the greatest achievement in my life. Um, you know, they, they think their family for helping them get to this moment. But that is not what Nikola Jokic did across numerous opportunities to say, this is the greatest moment of my life, along with his teammates and, and stuff like that. Yeah, he said something about like, uh, you know, his what fir- does- the first thing he said is it's good. It's good. We got the job done. We can go home now. 
That's what he said to yeah. Lisa Salters at the immediate aftermath of the game. Yeah, and then he he said something later uh, along the lines of like, "Well, doesn't everyone hate their job?" <laughs> um, yeah, he, I, I, and, yeah, he did say that. And I I think, you know, in some ways this is fun and refreshing, and this has kind of been like a postseason of of refreshing moments that also had Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, you know, uh, holding court on why. Uh, an upset first round loss to the heat uh, was not a failure because everything, you know, every, every quote unquote, everything that someone from the outside perceives as a failure is actually a a step in your journey towards success and and greatness. And like, the thing about it is like, I don't actually think, any of this stuff means that Jokic doesn't care. Like maybe that's maybe my poisoned brain is just totally unable to conceptualize, you know, someone who is a basketball player in the NBA, not caring about winning a championship. Um, Especially someone around whom the conversation, the last three years entire three years has been the thing that this person needs to sort of rubber stamp, you know, the seal of approval on his status as a a great and historically, historically great player is to win a championship. Um, But like, I don't know. My, my guess would be that it's as much a, a sort of signal of him not like really liking the media as anything else and not liking having to deal with that side of his job. Yeah. I, I mean, so uh, Kevin, I'm going to go to you with this because you are someone that really enjoys their job and, and have for a while, I mean, arguably across multiple employers, you have really enjoyed the aspects of your job. And I think the term job is really important here because he's uh, Jokic is expressing satisfaction with the job he has done, but it is still a a job. And I think he recognizes that he's very, very good at his job. And he didn't say, like, I'm not happy for my teammates or our accomplishments. He just said, this is a job. It is not my my life. And, and Kevin is someone who enjoys their job and i i think he enjoys his job uh Jokic, that is mm-hmm. but but do you does this speak to you as someone who like you enjoy the job but you also know that there are limitations to to like what what it is asking of you and what you're asking of it honestly yeah no, this is great because i frequently like to to compare like my career to an athlete and pretend that they're somehow can be like similar in some ways but um I, I think the it's yeah it's not that he doesn't care that like he wants to do the best job he can on the court uh, and like I care about uh, I care about the the projects we work on and you know want to want to help our team make designs and I want to be a critical component of the team because I just get pride in that and I get you know I get happy when we finish it uh, 
in our case, there's a big lag between when we finish things and when we get like, you know, public reaction to the thing. But like, ultimately, if you ask me like, oh, does this, this finishing this project, does it validate like everything you've been working for, for since like you were doing math in second grade? It's like, well, I mean, I mean, not really, but it's, it was like cool to get the job and it's nice to get the milestones along the way, like the, the feedback, but you know, ultimately it's just about overall your overall life and your satisfaction with different things you're doing. And so I, I think that what we're getting with him is that, is that separation that we don't necessarily get with, with someone like LeBron James, who's very much like basketball is his life. That's what he, that's like, that's everything to him. Yeah. And, and I think there are a couple important, important notes here both in a micro and the macro i would say in this instance this is somebody who was not born in america league pass didn't exist when he was growing up and i don't think he saw a lot of nba games on television he's actually talked about that so like the role model of kobe bryant or michael jordan people who are just so into basketball and spiteful about people who do better than them i just I'd imagine he didn't have that type of role model, but it's like, all right, this is the thing I'm good at. I'm going to continue doing it in the same way. It's like, I'm good at math and I sort of enjoy it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And there's a path for me there. So I feel like I can see that. And then in the macro, like understanding, like if you were, if you were asked to work longer than normal, a postseason of work, I don't know what that would be, but all of a sudden the time in which you're working, like if, if for school, if someone added an extra three weeks at the end of school and, and said, Hey, you can't go home yet. You have to keep on doing your job at school for a bit, a while. I would also be like, this is great. I'm glad I did well this extra semester, but I want to be done with it. I, I mean, I think the postseason there's a reward, but like, you know, players, adding an extra two months to their season i i don't know i understand being like all right i'm done we got the job done but this is a lot well what the weird thing about the the image that you just constructed is the idea that someone would find the forcible extension of the school year um something to be proud of because that has a name it's called summer school. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of there's there's no equivalent there's no equivalent, but that's what it is. It's like we're asking you to work more, and I don't I don't know the specifics of the contract, but I don't think they're getting paid at the same rate that they get, you know. It's yeah, I mean they get bonuses for each subsequent round. But I make. don't think it's if you are a max player, I oh, don't sure. think you're getting the equivalent game check. It's not they're here right. or there, but it's like you are your season is extended. And the bubble right, was the. I think Gabe yeah. Vincent made himself some money, so you I mean, know. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine. But if you if if you can take a private plane off to an island that maybe you are borrowing for a while, and you are delayed to just you know losing five games to the Nuggets, like that kind of sucks. Well, and, and I think that Gabe Vincent is maybe we should maybe put Gabe Vincent off to one side because these conversations, uh, it's not like to take a shot at Gabe Vincent, but like. But these conversations about, you know, who treats the postseason a certain way, who is the, you know, um, 
the phrase that uh, that Bill Simmons loved to use back when he actually wrote stuff was uh, homicidally competitive. Um, yes. Th- those conversations and conversations about legacy and, and what it really means for your historical legacy as a player to win a title are reserved, rightly or wrongly, for star players. And that's why... I, I was also particularly interested that you chose as an example of someone with an all-consuming obsession with basketball and nothing else, LeBron James, the one player pretty much in the history of the league that we have a documented record that he chose the team that he currently plays for in large part because of the non-basketball opportunities that it provides. Um, that's not, none of that is to say that he is not, you know, extremely driven to be, you know, the best at his craft, but like everyone knows that LeBron chose the Lakers because he wants you know, he aspires to more than just the on-court success. He aspires to be a media mogul and to be in the dog shit Space Jam sequel uh, and to have his, um, I, I don't know, I, I, is it called a Max original uh, series of barbershop conversations? Like, I, I almost wonder, you know, Kobe Bryant was a better I think was probably a more straightforward example of this. Someone who very clearly like during his career was absolutely unquestionably all basketball all the time, you know, except for that whole trial thing. Um, But like, you know, and you thought that you were, you sucked if you weren't practicing 10 hours a day. Exactly. In, in pajamas with a broken hand being like, no, I need to go practice. So I, I think, and this is kind of what I wanted to get to, what what that, the, the, the homicidal competitiveness is, and I think you can apply it to other things. It's, it's a toxic, at least to my eyes, is a toxic relationship to work. And I work with people who, who are like that too. It's like, this is... I I live and breathe for this thing, and I think to an extent we expect it out of some of the you know startup types, you know the titans of business. I, I mean, uh, uh, Milan Usk uh, to to just do a, a name that doesn't exist um, uh, has you know has a, lives in a little apartment near one of his companies and is like no it, everybody should be in the office and everything else it's like oh yeah that's a real titan of industry I, I don't i don't know that like you know that's that's what standard oil in in the railroad barons and stuff like that we're we're doing but like it's what we expect now and what you know nikola jokic is is expressing is like yeah that's that's not me. I can. This is great. He he can be ex- the best player in the world without being totally obsessed. And case in point, he's really excited to go home and go back to Serbia so he can go race his horses. And we all know and we all joke about the fact that he is really into um, carriage racing. I don't. I couldn't tell you like what 
what Kobe Bryant was really into on on the side when like his passions outside of of basketball. I, I mean, I think that you know there's mention of it, but the fact that we so closely associate Nikola Jokic with it, which is a thing that is part of his life as opposed to his work, I appreciate that he has the balance and there there's an expectation i think in american sports that tom brady great example it's like yeah he does commercials but we're like he's not a real person outside of football he doesn't exist without it okay so i do i do want to maybe push back on some of this a little bit and and make sure that we are not um that we are not making the mistake of only thinking about this from uh, the point of view of three uh, three white guys whose athletic peak was like intramural all-star. Um, Speak for yourself. <laughs> be, uh, but, but for real, um, you know, it is, it is not a joke that some of some of these players, I mean, like, I think if you know anything about LeBron James, his early life and, and the circumstances that he came from, like the, the singular focus and drive is the reason that he's so good. It's the reason, you know, it's one of the reasons that, you know, his life took the path that it took and not one of 8 trillion other potential way, way worse paths um and, and so like so one one thing is that i, I want to make sure that we you know we i think all grew up with a certain amount of of privilege of not having to uh bear the pressure of having to be the best at something in order to achieve a certain baseline of good life um uh, also, the, you know, this gets really tricky when we're talking about, like, professional team sports, because even though, you know, let, let's let's go back to the heat. Let's even though Gabe Vincent is what, like the, you know, sixth or seventh most important person on on that team, um he is you counting Spolstra and Riley in that. I, I was I was counting just players. Um, he is unquestionably so much closer to Jimmy Butler than any of the three of us are to like the people that run the companies that we work for. That like I. I actually think, you know, as long as you're not hitting the, the you know, the extreme thresholds of, like, Michael Jordan punching Steve Kerr in practice, um, which is very self-evidently a problem, um, like, I don't think it's particularly unreasonable for for these star players who have, like, you know, who have concerns about their legacy to be really demanding of their professional athlete teammates like there you know there's there's some balance to be had and, and some understanding mm -hmm. that you need to have that 
Gabe Vincent is not the same as Jimmy Butler, but Gabe Vincent is much more like Jimmy Butler than Gabe Vincent is like us. Right. Well, and with, with Jimmy Butler, like people are celebrating him after the past couple of years, but when he kind of flamed out in Minnesota, it was like, it, it was kind of like, well, is Jimmy one of those assholes who just like can't let other people be in the NBA the way they want to be? Or is it like the young guys who are kind of goofing off or whatever? And so it, like it's a fine that, line that, that, narrative, right. that narrative changed with Jimmy Butler based on how well his team was doing. And I think that that is, you know, I think people make fun of the, the Miami culture thing, but it's probably legit. Yeah. That's the thing. It, it also changed in part because he wound up landing in a spot full of other fucking lunatics. Yeah. I, I think to, to go back and, and I think the point about like, we are we are not the game Gabe Vincent's of our our workplace. Like like I I, I get that we are the guys that mop the sweat off the court. Um, I, be, I, I, I don't I don't know. I I, I, I I don't I don't I know. I, I'd have to I'd have I to. I am that. I, it's it's just like the how do you how do you make a postseason for like normal people? You don't. But <laughs> I I think that what is so you know. What I really appreciate is with the the heat culture or whatever, or, or honestly, even the way the Spurs are, or, you know, pick the Patriots way, so something like that. But there's this idea that there is a way that it is done and you can, you can narrowly achieve success. Like you can only, only do it such and such a way between what Giannis said and what in that press conference and what Nikola Jokic said in that press conference, I appreciate that maybe there can be another way. And Mm -hmm. I think there are two examples that, that make me think about this, which is, you know, Kevin Love, who's someone who has talked a lot about mental health and, and I think is, you know, really refreshing and seems to be a genuinely awesome guy. They talked about in the game five broadcast that, um, he and his wife had just had a she had just had a child a couple days before um is her first child he played in in the series like he didn't he did seemingly did not take a day off for this and i believe Derek white last year or the year before similar circumstance you know first child and i honestly think like fred van yeah yeah that's yes that's right he missed a game and it was a talking point and i like that's one of those where I'm like, oh, well, this is the way you're an athlete. You have to do this. Like, this is so, so important. And that that gives me a lot of pause. And I, I deal with that in my workplace, too, which is they're mostly men. If if their family has a child and their first child, their second child, they come back to work like really quickly because it's it's, you know, it's the way things are. And so when you have someone like Nikola Jokic, who who does have this balance is is able to say like that's my job this is my life i have other interests outside of it i or or in someone that i work with is like i'm taking my full family leave i really appreciate that because that should be okay it shouldn't be something that gives folks pause be it Derek white taking a day a day off or someone taking two months to hang out with a newborn Care for yeah, well, I mean, I, I, that one I find very tricky. Like, there's an 
our realms of work again where we are not um we are the mopping the floor and our projects are gen generally pretty long or like you and me pierce and sean is more of there's like on them always these mini projects i suppose yeah and like I, that one's a tough comparison like yeah the work-life balance generally I, I i'm guessing with people in your line the people who come back that is their choice it's not forced upon them i mean that goes back to quote-unquote heat culture like what is the culture of where you are and you know even if there is a genuine need for you to like do it a little bit different for whatever reason it's hard and why i would give another example um anthony edwards who sean adores and i really enjoy too when he was getting drafted he was the presumptive number one pick a lot of people dug into his his discussion basically about not being totally accept with basket being obsessed with basketball and talking about how he wishes he could have played other sports and you know maybe he had other interests and i was thinking i was trying to think today of other examples of like people who are phenomenally good at their sport but are maybe not totally committed to it and it becomes like oh they get distracted or they may not be fully committed to this and here's an example of someone who like has other interests and is able to balance that and be spectacular. And I don't know why in sports and honestly, you know, startups for technology companies, why we can't imagine the leaders of these things being anything other than completely obsessed with the product they put out. And I know I'm using we generally, no, but that's that's I, what the, that's how these are covered. That's why you ask the question of, isn't this the greatest feeling ever? It's like, no, having an IPO is not the greatest feeling of my life, even though I'm very rich now. No, uh, but ha I don't think anyone would argue that having an IPO is the greatest feeling of your life. But I, I think there is room to sort of split the difference here because, you know, sports – Sports are this weird, weird world where, like, there we end the year with a specific winner, and everyone else is, you know, is not the winner, and all all of the teams in the league, except for the ones that are tanking, are are, you know, are at least on paper operating towards achieving this goal. And this is where the honest thing comes in. Like, it is probably not on the whole healthy for you to have uh, for you to not be able to conceive of any possible result other than winning the championship to have positive value. I agree with that. Like you, you have to be able to draw, you know, positives from, successes that fall short of the ultimate success if you will um uh, to to accept Giannis's premise mm -hmm. um but like on some level if you aren't trying if you aren't at least trying to achieve the ultimate success you know well uh, no I, I was going to fall into the trap of saying what are you doing if you aren't putting in a, a certain level 
like there's a, a kind of baseline level of effort and buy-in that's required to get into those circles. And if yeah. you're not doing that, what are you doing this for? And that's the yeah. same, like, it's not, it's not that having an IPO, the day that your stock goes public is the best day of a startup founder's life. It is a realization that it is fucking hard to mm -hmm. conceive of one of these companies and put it together like uh, for better or worse the founder of a startup at least in in these kind of early stages before it hits up a, a point of being like a publicly traded company like they are in many ways like these legacy pursuing star athletes who by definition are carrying a an enormous amount of pressure on their shoulders and like it it is true that every one of them to at least some extent is going too far in the direction of like defining their life only by this one thing but you know i think i just i'm wary of overcorrecting too far in the other direction and mm. you know like Kevin, we, we, we've talked on this episode about Kevin is someone who really likes his job. That means in some portion, Kevin defines himself by his work. And like that is not an unhealthy thing at all. It's just it's being able to have perspective like you want the perspective, but the perspective isn't supposed to take away from like the motivation and the effort. Right. Yeah, I mean, there are. I I think it's about like yeah, an internal amount of just wanting to, like if you're going to spend all your time doing it you, I don't know trying is is more fun like if you just play a pickup basketball game like you want to you want to win like I care more about winning a garbage pickup basketball game than I do about like anything else <laughs> and, and like it's just it it feels good it feels good to win and it, but it's also good to be able to step away from it. And like another set of players are like the, your Bradley Beals and your Damian Lillard who they're good. They get people to give them a lot of money to play basketball. They're chill where they're at. And like, they're not really set up to, to, you know, win the ultimate championship, but they seem to be at peace with that. Like they would like to do it where they are, but if they don't, then, you know, they're working hard. They're, they're not they don't appear to be bad teammates yeah i want to be clear that i like i am i think sort of inadvertently taking up the position of being like the uh, being like a pro hustle culture rise and grind guy and i am not only not. I, not only not that i am pretty aggressively anti that um but like <laughs> professional athletes have lives that are so totally different from mine that like I guess I just like I don't have as much of a problem with them being that particular kind of lunatic as long as it doesn't spill out to you like abusing other people. Jimmy Butler beating the, you know, playing uh, with the <laughs> Timberwolves third team against 
the first string holding Carl Towns scoreless while wearing a fancy watch. That's great. Michael Jordan punching Steve Kerr in practice. That's bad. Oh, and in even Jimmy Butler doing it, which is funny and hilarious because he was so driven to do it. But and because the, he did it to Carl Towns. Yeah. Well, also the details of it, like he took off his his track suit after winning a few games to show that he had uh, Timberwolves stuff on, but had cut out all the Timberwolves logos from it. Like, God bless Jeff Teague for telling that, that, that story. <laughs> that is that is a a a and I'm not trying to use this word wrongly but there's a deranged thing it is oh deranged. it is 100 percent. like we use unhinged all the time it's not that this is deranged but i i guess i guess what i'm saying is like it is hard with sports because all of these people are the very best in the world at at this job down to yeah, brian scalabini is the great example like he would beat 999 1999 people out of a million in basketball like he would just do that it might even be higher like if he played them one-on-one so it's hard but i i guess the equivalence of the i don't know like the the basically the backup quarterbacks like there are backup quarterbacks and they chase daniel basically never plays but it's very good and has made a lot of money and made a great living and i feel like in jobs that are you know things we can think about we don't we don't hear about the chase daniels and i think at work like everybody in and i see this it's like very few people are like i do my job pretty well and i also make plenty of time to 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 you know spend time with myself spend time with my family go go do things and i feel like as people move up and up i think those expectations of the um extra drivenness and the competitiveness i think that they only gain so i don't know sometimes i i wish that you, i mean you would never write a story about it because it's it's not that interesting to be like here's a ceo of a company that does just fine it's not in the fortune 500 and they go on really nice vacations and they have a a vacation house in a lake you haven't heard of but it's very pleasant like it's it's boring you would never write a novel about that it would be incredibly boring you would never write a time magazine article about because it's incredibly boring but like, well, you'd also never write that novel or read that magazine story because that ceo would have been summarily fired several years ago because that's not how for-profit corporations work like which well, which again that that is a problem that is a problem yeah, and in and of that, itself but that problem is not point, yeah. but that's the thing that problem we have to step back and remember that that problem is not with the ceo no so and that goes back to here we have someone who is the best in the world at this thing mm -hmm. and they exist in the sea of people who it is all in, it is all encompassing and is this an aberration or is this an alternative way to get to the same ends because what i'm hearing is here we go because of capitalism there is only one way but maybe at least in sports there is another way i i didn't say it I said it um yeah i don't know whether or not there's another way probably depends on how many more 
NBA players we get who are really into carriage racing. Yeah, I mean, I know Jack Dorsey fashions himself as someone who is doing it another way, but he's he not just eats weird. St- he he doesn't eat food. He's he, he's he not actually doing it a different way. That's and that look. I, I'll 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 lean on lean in on the capitalism thing now. That's the con of all of this. Mo that's the most of the time the people that are telling you that they're doing it differently, those are the con artists. And I think that is why this is so refreshing because there doesn't there doesn't seem to be like a whiff of you know of guile about Nikola Jokic in terms of his personality. Like this, yeah. this feels genuine in a way that we're not used to. And that like that I I'm that's where I'm with you. Like, I think that is something that is really refreshing, yeah. but it's refreshing because 99% of the time, the person that tells you, oh, it's no big deal. It's good. We can all go home now is lying. And they're checking emails until two o'clock in the morning when they go home. And I also bet that Jokic is spending plenty of time working on his game. He just doesn't have to tell oh, us about yeah, it all the time. Sure he just shows is. us. Yeah. yeah. He's not he's not doing those those videos in the summer. Yeah. He just shows us on the court. All right. That I think is a good place to wrap up and move on to Pierce's sorry. Um, so I was a little little delayed in recording today because of what I refer to as a crawl space kerfuffle. And as someone who's recently uh, become a Costco person, let me just tell you that um, just because you can buy a large bag of, say, onions or potatoes does not mean that a household of two can go through that many uh, onions or potatoes. And you know, not one bad apple because that's that's not real. But one one compromised potato can can really really throw off your whole whole trip down to the uh crawl space so be mm-hmm. mindful of of the balance of especially seasonally what you're going to do with potatoes and onions and you know you should you should pass on the big bags this time of year especially when there are only two potential people who could eat them all right uh yes i i think uh that's a lesson i have learned several times um uh, which I think maybe means I've never learned it. You've never um, learned it. You've observed multiple times. Yes. That's a good way to describe it. Um, all right. Let's do a big idea from pop culture. Um, and uh, I have been, and I have successfully roped Emily into this with me, um, uh, going back through The Wire and we are currently like two about two thirds of the way through season two, which is uh, apropos for for today's topic, the season about, you know, the death of the death of work and crumbling labor economies. Um, but it's also, you know, it's it's part of what is considered to be one of the the golden age of of shows these these programs that aired largely on hbo and were centered around kind of dark male anti-hero characters 
and ushered in this era of what we now call prestige TV. And I, I happened to be um, reading a, uh, a Brian Phillips essay on The Ringer about, not about the show Succession, but about the legacy of the show Succession and how it will be remembered and why that is largely a question about cynicism. And he he makes makes this point that I think is is really interesting about um how prestige TV in many ways replaced good TV. So little little passage. Um Talking about prestige TV rather than good TV became a way to take the thorny question of aesthetic value out of the conversation. It was a way to sidestep difficult political discussions about representation and genre and how we distribute cultural spoils. But the faint derisiveness of the term also seemed to mark its user as more in the know, hipper, less naive about human motives. It was a way to talk about art that showed you weren't enough of a sap to think that art was really the goal. It showed that you understood that the only things people really care about are gossip and money. And that's why I feel a little queasy about the term prestige TV. It seems to contain its own quiet cynicism. It's so dismissive of the artistic potential of the medium of television, something I'd very much like writers and showrunners to go on believing in. Prestige TV is a phrase that could have sprung from the world of succession itself. It implies that artistic value, like all abstract value, is bullshit. What really matters is status and power. This is not what I believe, and if it was, I'm not sure why I'd ever want to watch television. I guess to live tweet about it? Mm -hmm. uh, I just like that one. It made me scratch my head and go, ooh, the way we talk about TV has maybe gotten really dumb. So um, that was that was a good read. I'll, I'll throw a link uh in the notes that piece is called how will succession be remembered um i also watched a quasi documentary called heartworn highways which is mostly just uh, footage of <clears throat> uh sort of folk and country performers in like the mid 70s it's like uh the sort of steve earl towns van zant uh, slice of the genre. Um, and it's not like there's kind of not really any structure or plot or anything. Um, but it's just, it's very, it's very homey. It's like a nice, nice thing to, to throw on and, and hear, hear the music of, of getting, I think I'm getting myself into a bit of a, a guy Clark phase because of it. So, um, that is on canopy, I want to say. So get your library mm. cards ready. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, maybe the succession thing is, is more your speed. <laughs> um, all right, Kevin, I know Max did not, uh, leave us with a, a trivia question, but you said you had something that we could throw in at the end for, for funsies and see what we do with it. Sure. It's a fun little question. Um, in terms of the, the prestige TV last night, Julia and I finished, Ted Lasso, which kind of 
is involved in a lot of the a lot of uh arguments about the level of quality of the show it is um yes but um but part of the in the finale part of what comes up is you know how much uh is this this uh football team that the show is based around how much is it worth and julia was kind of shocked at the value of, of the team and i was like no that's for that's good kind no of like, she was shocked for good reason that's what uh sport teams are are kind of worth and so i went and looked up um different values and so based on the uh website uh sportico uh what do you guys think are the two least valuable teams in the nfl mlb and nba the two least valuable teams in each of those leagues yeah we can do one if you want or you can just uh, they're gonna be fun just to think about it uh well the oakland athletics would be my guess for baseball i'm just gonna do one yeah, that would be my baseball guess as well. Um, did you say hockey? The Phoenix Coyotes? I don't have the hockey ones. Okay, well that's that's that should be the answer. All right, well I'll just um, I'll give you the I'll give you the baseball one real quick. So the the, the two lowest in baseball are the Miami Marlins and oh, the Tampa Bay shit. Rays. Yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Combined, they're probably still pretty low. Um, and then uh, football. Part of me wants to say the Titans, but I I'm not that wedded to that. Um, I'll stick with it though. I think it might be the Saints. Interesting. Mm. Those were uh, kind of in the mid twenties. The two lowest I got are the Bengals and the Lions. Huh. Oh, okay. okay. No um, idea how reputable this is, but you know, and then it doesn't seem the, Basketball is the last one. Basketball is the last one. I'll do two here. I'll say the Pelicans and the Pacers. Oh, that's it. Those those are good guesses. Um, I'm gonna actually do the Kings and the Thunder. Um, Thunder was 27. Pelicans were our 30, and 29 is the Grizzlies. Oh, so it's interesting. It's interesting how the logic, like the the Tennessee logic, worked for basketball, but not for football. You'd think that they'd all kind of be the same cities, but (laughs) Memphis and Nashville are not the same. Uh, I guess that's true. One people are moving there, and the other people are. I mean, there just there aren't even people left to flee. I don't think. So yeah, Pierce, I think your big uh, hiccup was the whole fact that California is fucking loaded. So they've so, but they they guess split it. I don't. I don't they know. love to tell you about how they have the fifth largest economy in the world. That's that's great. That's, <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, all right, that's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web www.prettyokpod.com, or you can subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening. Bye.